having that customer care because every client is different, right? And, and everything, you know, something different makes everyone tick and you just have to figure out who you're working with, right? Especially I'm still considered, you know, frontline in my business. So I'm, you know, face to face with a lot of my clients, you know, understanding, you know, you know, relationships with people, you know, understand how to work with them. That is probably something that, you know, has opened my eyes because it's very different for every single person. And, you know, as I continue to grow, I have to become more flexible with, you know, the different types of personalities that I deal with. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, Yona Weiss. Excited to be here today on this beautiful day. It is winter. It's a little bit cold, but we're going to have a warm conversation here with Grant Doherty, all the way from Houston, Texas. What's going on, Grant? How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. How's it going, Yona? Thank you for having me on here, man. It's a real pleasure. The pleasure is mine. I always love to you know, expand the network, meet amazing people through this podcast, through social media, and then bring it kind of to life and be able to share value with our community and with our audience and our listeners in more ways than one. So for you guys who don't know who Grant is, he is an accountant. He's an enrolled agent based in Houston, Texas. Funny coincidence, I didn't even think it was until now. The last enrolled agent we had on the show is also from Houston, Texas. So pretty cool. Oh, nice. uh, and if you know Michael Plax, the real estate, nin- what does he call himself? The real estate ninja, something like that. Oh, you know what? I'll have, I'll have to look him up. I'll go ahead and do that. You know, I'll, I'll look him up here shortly. He's a good guy. Michael is a good guy. Anyways, Grant, pleasure to have you. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit of your backstory, you know, before we get into the show. So people have some context who we're actually talking to today. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Grant Doherty, you know, born and raised in Houston, Texas. You know, I actually went to school at a university just northwest of the city called Prairie View A&M University. I actually played sports there. And so while I was there, I studied business and I also got a master's and MBA from there as well. Started off working out in corporate America. And then, you know, I started while I was working there, I actually started my own, you know, side bookkeeping business. And that, that's how it all started. You know, really? started off as a very small bookkeeping business, you know, gained some knowledge there, you know, decided to take it up a notch and move into taxes and then realized I need to get licensed. So now I got licensed. I got my enrolled agent license. And, you know, I created my social media account along with that. And next thing you know, it just grew. And now that's what I do full time. I don't even work in corporate America anymore. I do this full time. I'm probably busier now than I was back then, though. So, but it, it is all a joy. That's great. So, you have a small, you know, accounting firm where you're actually helping people who own businesses or real estate. I know you're in the real estate game as well. Mm-hmm. It, tell us a little bit about like who is your ideal client now that you have your own firm. Yeah. So, you know, the ideal person who I work with is going to be small business owners and real estate investors that make less than a million dollars a year. You know, that's typically who I work with. And, you know, now as far as small business owners, it is a broad range. I work with, you know, real estate agents. I work with people that own small medical facilities. I work with all sorts of different, you know, business owners. Right. So, and then I also work with smaller real estate investors. I think the largest real estate investor I work with has maybe like around 50 properties. So that's a lot, but you know, it's not anything that I can't handle by myself because I am still a sole employee. 
Oh, wow. Uh, okay. and, and I am still growing, you know, rapidly. So I have a, I have some contractors that help me out during tax season, but no official employee. That is going to be the next step that I take in my business. So I'm still, you know, a small business myself. So I'm very familiar with, you know, the small business environment. Sure. And, you know, in the ins and outs of businesses, I'm sure you learn a ton as you go. And any great accountant is constantly learning because there's so much to learn from in the tax code is almost seemingly endless and, right. you know, and trying to go through it and all the court cases and all the ways to, you know, the nuances are really tough to tackle. So, I mean, it really does take someone who is in that kind of growth mindset to be able to really tackle it and grow their own business that way. I mean, it's pretty amazing that you're still in that stage where you're able to handle everything yourself. I think obviously there's going to come a time when you're going to hire some some employees, some other accountants to handle a lot of the tax work. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. As far as tax work, I handle all the tax work right now. But you no, know, there's like a lot of administrative tasks. So like I have like weekly emails, you know, I have like different things that, that kind of go on to help my brand build. Sure. And so, you know, I work very closely with these contractors and I mean, they're all most employees, but Technically, you know, I do know that, you know, that's one of the things that small business owners need to understand is the difference between an independent contractor and an employee. Very, very important different, you know, distinction that you have to make between the two. And so they are technically still independent contractors and I don't have any full-time employees, but they are still very much integrated into my business system and growing my brand. Sure. That's awesome. And I think it's pretty incredible that simultaneously you've been able to grow that brand grow the business, you know, the social media presence surely resonates with a lot of people. I think right. taxes taxes to a lot of people are like this kind of mystification. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but it's just in a cloud of a mystery of what really you have to do. And so people rely very heavily on their trusted advisor, you know, their accountant right. to point them in the right direction and make sure they're staying out of trouble and make sure they're, you know, doing the right thing. Yeah, no, and you brought up the staying out of trouble part. That's the big one, right? You know, there's especially whenever you get into, you know, small businesses and real estate, you know, there's just so many nuances where, you know, technically, okay, for example, that can be expense versus, okay, that needs to be capitalized in something like real estate. And, and actually understanding the nuances behind that mm-hmm. is very important because you definitely don't want to go down the, you know, the road thinking that you can just, you know, expense the repairs on your roof or something like that. So, um, sure. or, you know, I guess repairs is different, but if you're like replacing your roof, you can't just expense that. Right. right? So, and that would be something that, you know, I commonly run across, especially with like brand new real estate investors who are just getting into the, you know, the game. That is something that, you know, they didn't even realize that they had to depreciate a brand new roof versus like, okay, I thought, you know, okay, I thought I could just write off $15,000. Like, no, it doesn't quite work that way. And the same thing goes with business owners, right? You know, everyone wants to talk about, oh, let's get into the S-Corp. Well, you know, there's a lot of, you know, nuances that come into S-Corp. So first off, you know, let's look at QBI. You know, a lot of business owners don't even look at QBI. Whenever you jump over to S-Corp, you know, your W-2 salary plays a big role in now your QBI and also your retirement contributions for like solo 401k. So yeah, from, you know, it may sound good to talk about, let's say taxes with the S-Corp, 
but you're not thinking of all the nuances that go into that. So sure. that's just like a quick example. That's a great example. Can you talk about the QBI? Explain what that is for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with that. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's the qualified business income deduction. You know, it was implemented in the TCJA back in 2018. It is going to sunset though here at the end of 2025. So in 2026, you know, that's not, no longer going to apply. And essentially it is a 20% deduction on qualified business income. You know, what is qualified business income? You know, you, there's, you know, kind of complicated, but anything that is and you may need to clarify for me just a little bit, but it, it deals with the specified trade or business, right? And then right. also like your income limits. And there's like a lot of nuances, but understanding like just the, you know, the overall idea, whenever you switch over to an S-Corp, now you have to implement like in that calculation, your W-2 wages. And so right. you definitely don't want to cut back on a potential 20% deduction that you could have had if you were just like a Schedule C sole proprietorship versus an escort. Sure. I mean, that's a perfect example of really proactively planning and thinking, you know, what is the income level going to be? Where can I actually be making, you know, the most money or saving the most money through a different tax structure, like an escort or sole proprietorship or something like that. So that's, that's a really great example. And there's so many things like that, that business owners don't necessarily think about. That's why they rely on their bookkeeper, their accountant to make sure they're staying out of trouble, but more importantly, proactively kind of setting up the right structures to make sure that they're you know saving as much as they can. Correct. I'm curious to know, you know, over the years since you've been doing this, not so many years, but you know, obviously you're still a young, young in over there, it looks like, but (laughs) (laughs) I assume um, you've been doing this for a few years already. I'm curious to know what's you know something that you've learned maybe recently in the last year or two that has kind of changed the way that you're personally either doing business or you know relating or helping your clients. Yeah, you know, it really is all about customer service, right? And you know. There, you can understand, you know, the tax language, the tax knowledge, you know, that is, you know, to be expected as a tax advisor. But then now having that customer care, because every client is different, right? And, and everything, you know, something different makes everyone tick. And you just have to figure out who you're working with, right? Especially, I'm still considered, you know, frontline in my business. So I'm, you know, face to face with a lot of my clients, you know, understanding, you know, relationships with people, you know, understand how to work with them. That is probably something that, you know, has opened my eyes because it's very different for every single person. And, you know, as I continue to grow, I have to become more flexible with, you know, the different types of personalities that I deal with. I mean, and that really is true for any business. I mean, customer service and that communication, that's a gap that really differentiates between a great business and an okay business. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, people want to feel like that you actually care about their situation. And so, you know, okay, yeah, you know, maybe their plan didn't work out the way you wanted, they wanted it to, but that's why, you know, you explain to them, okay, this is why, this is how it can be done differently, you know, and different things like that. So I get a lot of people that come to me, you know, wondering why, not even wondering why, but they just felt neglected by their previous accountant. And so I try to learn from that. I don't want to feel, you know, I don't want any of my clients to, to feel as if they've been neglected essentially. And then, you know, some are very relaxed, but some need a little bit more proactive care. And it's also the way how you deal with them, right? Some like to be a little bit more friendly. Some like to just get straight to business and it is what it is. Let's just talk numbers. And so understanding what makes them tick is very important and, you know, at least in growing my business. 100%. And do you see, I mean, a lot of your clients, you said a lot of them are small business owners, real estate investors. Has that 
at all, you know, kind of trickled over to you in terms of, you know, are you investing in real estate as well? Or, you know, besides your own business that you own, obviously, (laughs) you're a small business, but any other businesses that you've been involved with? So I currently only own real estate through a syndication. So I don't personally own any in my personal name just yet. You know, that is a goal. Most of the money, though, has been poured back into my business. So I've been, you know, rapidly investing back into my business to to grow it, you know, hire on different contractors and different things like that, different softwares, you know, all sorts of different things, you know, but I do invest outside of my business. You know, of course, you know, there's retirement plans. You got to take, you know, advantage of retirement plans. But then I look at different syndications, you know, different, you know, different larger, you know, platforms where I can, you know, probably dump like, you know, a few, you know, several thousand dollars over there and start to get my investing in real estate, more of like a diversification strategy. But to grow that, I do want to, so currently in, you know, with interest rates change and different, you know, things have changed, but we want to actually take my, our current home that we are in mm-hmm. and move out and turn it into a rental and possibly get a new home. However, there is that home exemption that we have to consider because we have seen some substantial appreciation and we can get some tax-free income that way. So there's like a lot to think about, you know, for our personal situation right now. I am married with a wife. We have two kids. We're planning to probably grow our family I joke around all the time and tell people that I want a basketball team, you know, so, <laughs> you know, you know, my poor wife, she, she, I don't know if she can, if she's down for that, but you know, the, I joke around and say that I do, I want a large family. I love kids. And so that, you know, along with that, I do want to create streams of income. And so, yeah, eventually I do want to start physically owning, you know, rental properties in my personal name and receive rental income that way. Sure. And syndications are also a great way to invest in real estate. I do hear a lot of people kind of promoting investing in in REITs as yeah. a form of investing in real estate. And I don't really think that it's talked about enough, but it's not really investing in real estate if you're investing in a REIT. Yeah, it's more just that, investing would, in a stock. Exactly. I would consider that more of like a stock. I could buy that in like my Roth IRA if I wanted to. Um, exactly. So. Yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, syndication where you receive a K one. That's what sure. I'm talking about. That's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit different, you know. But yeah, I mean, REITs are are good options. I wouldn't just say, you know, don't invest in it. I'm not a financial advisor, so don't take my financial, you know, <laughs> the way how I feel about finances too seriously. But you know, I, I think they're okay for diversification purposes. Hundred percent. And and about that, you know, kind of investing, or you mentioned briefly about the home exemption. Can you talk about that? Because it's something that I've obviously come across. If you're living in a home and then you sell it or you, you place it in service as a rental over after a certain number of years, it's a section 121. Is that correct? Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about what that is? Yeah. So essentially what it is, is you know if you use a home for a personal residence in two of the last five years, you can sell that home and exclude the first $250,000 of capital gains if you're single and it's half a million if you're married filing jointly, how long have they That's had awesome. those saying? How long have they had those? The 250 and 500. That's been around for life. It's been around like, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. No inflation adjustment or anything. Right. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, hopefully they eventually do that. But that's what I was talking about earlier is that, you know, okay, we, we have our personal home. We, we bought it. We've lived in it now for about three years. So we would qualify for the personal home exemption. And it's just, you know, it's just one of those things like, okay, we could come across a large sum of tax-free income. And now our options, now if we wanted to potentially buy, you know, a rental property in our name, we can do that and probably still have cash left over. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's so many different things to think about, but in a roundabout way, that's essentially what it is, is that, you know, you can exclude the first 250K of gains or five or $500,000. Sure. That's huge. And that's a huge thing, you know, and people, one, another great reason why you need a good accountant is you might just be missing out on this deduction. If you didn't know about this, if you sold your home and you lived in there for two out of the last five years, guess what? You could be, you know, looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax deductions that you could be reducing your capital gain from. So that's huge. I know my parents recently sold their home that they lived in for 25 years and it had appreciated extraordinary, you know, a huge amount. I mean, in California, in Southern California, oh yeah, it appreciated by like three times what they paid for it 25 years ago. And that deduction obviously was a huge factor that, you know, they reduced their capital gain there tremendously. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I think for, you know, especially for, you know, people who are still on their wealth building journey, you know, if you have now, of course, there's a lot to think about, right? Because if we dispose of this home, now we got to get a new home. Prices have appreciated their interest rates. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of factors you have to think about. But from a wealth building perspective, right? You know, you're increasing your net worth potentially by several hundred thousand dollars. And depending on where you are in your wealth building journey, that could be a huge jump for you, right? So, and again, if you're much further along in your wealth building journey, okay, yeah, you might as well just turn it into a rental. Like, and you know, long term, receive that rental income, get the depreciation. A lot of factors, but if you're, you know, still on your journey, mm-hmm. I think that is, you know, one of the best, you know, incentives out there in the tax code for building wealth. Huge, it's huge. I mean, and again, there's so many things like this. Any other ones that come to mind? Just fun things that maybe I know you mentioned briefly the retirement accounts, and that's something that I'd love for you to kind of talk about because I was thinking about what other things people may not be so familiar with that you need to know if you're a business owner or even if you're, you know, a W two. There are things like investing through your retirement account or maxing out your retirement accounts, things like that, that can actually yeah. be great tax advantages. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, and the most common one is going to be like your 401k, you know, through your employer. But for the self-employed, you can actually do a solo 401k, which is like a traditional 401k, but on steroids, because, you know, there's that employer contribution that you can make. And you know, in 2022, the max was 61K, you know, and of course, it's not just a flat 61K, you know, there's, you know, that's one of the nuances that you probably want to work with a, a tax right. advisor on to understand how much you can contribute. But the max is 61. I believe it jumps up for 2023. I believe it's 66K. So, you know, you want to talk about a large deduction. That is like an awesome way to essentially get a tax deduction while at the same time building wealth, because now you're putting that money to use, hopefully that you know, over a long period of time, you get a return on your investment. And that's the idea of something like that. But outside of just that, you know, you have SEP IRAs, you have Roth IRAs, which Mm -hmm. I think Roth IRAs, you know, are one of the best wealth building tools because, okay, not only for yourself, do you get to create a bucket of tax-free income, but in the event that you just never use your Roth IRA, you can pass that down to heirs and they can receive the same tax benefits you would have. And it, correct me, it can not go through probate, correct? Right. And that's an amazing thing, right? There, there's so many things like this with retirement accounts when passing down. And that's something I didn't even know until recently that you can do something like that. And so there's, again, yeah. just another great way to use your retirement account. And not only that, maxing that out, but then what's even better, putting that on steroids is really then self-directing that retirement account and then using that yeah. to invest in real estate or in other assets. 
Yeah, oh yeah, all sorts of assets can go. Once we start self-directing it, you can put almost like whatever you wanted in there pretty yeah. much. Yeah, I mean, animals, all sorts of things, you know. <laughs> animals? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Uh, I I heard that you could put, you know, if you want to invest in like, you know, an animal or something like that, you can put it in a self-directed. I don't take it too seriously. I just heard about it. Mostly people use self-directed IRAs to invest in things like real estate, silver, coins, things like that. But whenever I say you can invest in almost anything, I someone once said animals and I was like, I think you actually can, you know, if I guess. If it's an investment. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if it's it's an investment. investment. Yeah, you can. I mean, I, yeah. I've never heard of a, an animal as an investment, but I'm sure they exist. Like, you know, if you buy a racehorse yeah. or something like that, you know, right? Hey, man, I'm in Texas, man. You run across all sorts of things. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, you know, I, you know, Texas, is a, it used to be its own country. Let me just say, let me just put it like that. That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> but yeah, man, self-directed IRAs are a great option. And then even like the traditional IRAs, those are great options too, because you know, in the event that you ever wanted to fund, you know, a, a Roth IRA, you may actually need to do the backdoor and you would need that traditional IRA open in order to do something like a backdoor mm-hmm. Roth. Sure. I mean, does that get complicated at all when setting something like that up or is it a pretty standard practice? The backdoor Roth? Yeah. It's pretty standard. You know, you, what you would do is you would first make a contribution to your traditional IRA, let it sit there for a few days, and then you would do a Roth conversion. Now, one thing that you would have to consider whenever doing Roth conversions is, you know, there's the if you have a Roth IRA and you, you make a direct contribution, you can pull out your contributions whenever you want penalty and tax free. However, if you do a Roth conversion, that's not considered a direct contribution. So if you did a conversion, you have to you would have to wait five years before you could access any of your contributions to that. So. I would be hesitant, you know, of trying to access money, you know, only put away money in a Roth if you know you're not going to need it. But then you would have to file form 8606 at the during tax season, because that is going to be the form that lets you know that you made a non-deductible contribution to a traditional IRA. So that's very important. Yeah. So cool. What's one of the tax forms that you fill out that is kind of unique that you've come across and from small business owners that oh, get too goodness. common? Casualty losses. Casualty losses. You know? Sure. Yeah, those are always complicated. I can't remember the form number for it, but casualty losses. You know, so you know, I'm gonna have one person this year who had like a property get burned down in like a fire. So I'm gonna work on that. I'm not too sure exactly how that works. I still got a lot of research. I've looked at the form, and it's very, very complicated. It's really, really long. And then probably another one would be like an accounting change. You know, accounting method change. Those are always fun. Usually, right. you run across those whenever you do like cost eggs on like old properties. So, sure, exactly. um, but those aren't terrible, but they're definitely not your standard, you know, your schedule C, right. your schedule E. They're not, they're not your standard forms like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny because the form 3115 that you're referring to, the change yeah. accounting method is something that, you know, we as a conservation firm, we actually do that for our clients at no extra charge because it's something really? that accountants, it's like, if you're not used to it, if you've ever done it before, you rarely do it. It can be very daunting to fill something like that yes. out. You know, it can be pages long sometimes. And, and so I've had a client come to me and tell me that my accountant says that since I've owned this property for a few years, I can no longer do the cost irrigation on it. And I said, well, you know, that's not quite accurate. You can, you just have yeah. to fill this 3115 form. And they went back to their accountant and realized that really what the accountant was was trying to say is that they don't want to fill out this <laughs> this form and so it's not possible to do it that's unfortunately they weren't giving you know the full discretion to the client to make their own decisions 
but you know, inform them that we actually do that on behalf. Yeah. And he was ecstatic. The accountant was ecstatic. He's like, "Oh yeah, okay. So then go ahead. Yeah, do the cost yeah. because yeah, it's no, just no, funny." No, no, no. For, no, it, it really is. You know, it, so taxes is one of those things. With time, you get better at it, right? right? So, and the reason you get better at it is because you're constantly doing these different of these. It's a bunch of different forms, but a lot of the forms you see over and over and over again, right? So whenever you do a 3115, thank you for reminding me. I couldn't quite remember. The, the numbers, you know, the, especially the uncommon ones really will slip my mind at times. But um, yeah, the 3115, it, it's several pages long. And I remember the first time I did it, it was, it took me a while. You know, I had yeah. to call some people. I had to do some research. Right. And I've only done it, a, you know, a handful of times. I don't handle... That's actually really good that y'all offer that for free because that would help out a lot of tax professionals speaking from experience from someone who doesn't file that form too often. But but yeah, like your your Schedule C's, your Schedule D's, your Schedule E's, you know, know, 8949's, all those are all going to be relatively common. But then, yeah, you get your 3115's, accounting method changes. That's a good one. Yeah, it's fun. It's always cool to hear about these different forms and different things going in. What goes behind the actual accountants day to day? Because it's a lot more complicated than you may think. But obviously, as you're growing, I'm sure you will bring on more employees, other accountants to be doing more of the tax work itself. In fact, I have a accountant friend who is real estate focused, and he, I think he has 20 employees that work overseas. That yeah. Wow. And so that he's paying literally, I think they're in the Philippines or Nepal, but they are, you know, they're accountants, they're licensed and they work for, you know, a fraction of the cost. And so he's able to get a huge amount done, you know, at, at a fraction of the cost. I've heard about cost. that. I've heard about that. I, you know, I've heard mixed reviews, you know, so it's good to hear that this is a positive because, you know, I've heard about it and I've heard the pros and cons. And sure. so uh, def- it's definitely been an option. I've looked into it. Not deeply, but I've thought about it and I've done a little bit of research. So that may be something I have to consider now that I've uh, you know, given it a positive review. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's something that you clearly have to have you know, oversight on. You have to have you know, reviews. You have to have a manager if you're not yourself managing and re- reviewing everything. But it's something that it's much easier way to scale than I think a lot of people would even consider. Okay. Okay. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Because, uh, man, it's tough to really, you know make an investment on an employee to work with you full time. Because sure. first off, you know, you don't want to get someone on and they just end up dipping, you know, I, that would be very, very tough. And then you don't want to get someone on this, you know, they don't have the, the skill set or the work ethic, right? You know, that's a whole nother, whole nother level to it. So I guess that's why you offer partnerships, you know, whenever right. it comes to accounting firms. So right. that I guess that's one way to combat it. But then again, you know, I mean, it, as a growing business, you know, you don't really want to just offer up parts of your company just like that. But, you know, it's part of growing and it's something that you have to consider. Sure. 100%. Well, Grant, I want to transition now to what we call the final four. These are four questions okay. I, I ask all my guests. First question to you is, what is the worst job that you ever had? Okay. So the worst job, I, I don't know if I can say worst job because I try to always enjoy, you know, if I'm going to go there, you know, at least the people are cool. I'll find a way to enjoy it. But, you know, one of the more stressful and definitely working retail, you know, during Black Friday, you know, during holiday seasons, I'm not going to say it's the worst. I feel like that's, you know, a tough word, but, you know, working retail during Black Friday holiday season is very, very tough and it's very demanding. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, I, I used to get anxiety whenever I would go into a store and I would see the place just messed up because I know at the end of the day, once when it's clean, you have to go in and organize everything. It has to be organized a certain way. So, 
Yeah, that was probably one of the most demanding jobs that I've had so far. Sure. Well, yeah. Okay. I, I can't even imagine what something like that would be like, but it <laughs> definitely does not sound like fun. Second question is what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah. You know, there's several out there. The Millionaire Next Door, Richest Man in Babylon. Those are really good. Actually, from an investing perspective, definitely it would have been an intelligent investor. That's mm-hmm. going to be one of my permanent investing perspective from where I used to be how I used to invest to how I invest now. The intelligent investor was, you know, in, in terms of investing, a paradigm, you know, a shift for me. Awesome. We'll definitely check that out and put that in the show notes. Appreciate you sharing that. In, intelligent investor. Okay. Yeah. Um, third question is, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? I would like to be able to speak pretty much any language. You know, I would like to be able to communicate with anyone across the world. So if that meant, you know, Mandarin, if that man, you know, Japanese, I don't know. Do they call it Japanese? I know Mandarin yeah. is Chinese. <laughs> yeah. but I don't know if they call it Japanese. I know actually, you know, being from Texas, I know quite a bit of Spanish. So I can read signs that, you know, you could drop me off in, you know, a country that only speaks Spanish and I could navigate the streets and find my way out because I definitely, you know, maybe not conversationally. I couldn't, you know, pick up on, you know, what you're trying to say to me or hold a conversation. But, you know, I could read signs. I could read books. Depending on what, I could read a children's book. I probably couldn't read, you know, Harry Potter in Spanish. But, you know, that would be like something. But more languages than that, Portuguese, Italian, all those I would like to know. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, listen, once you pick up one, I think the second, the next one after that gets easier. So good luck with that. That's awesome. Thank you. Up a new language. And fourth and final question is, what does success mean to you? Yes, success to me, and that's a really good question. You know, it's really just, you know, being, you know, at peace and, you know, at comfort with yourself, right? You know, I wouldn't necessarily put a monetary value on it. Yeah, financial success would be making a little bit of money. And I do think finances does play a role. But, you Mm -hmm. know, because if you, you don't have enough, then now you're constantly stressed you know, some may just, you know, say that, you know, if you're financially stressed, you'll even go and commit, you know, robberies or, you know, any, any other yeah, types of forbid, activities yeah. because you need to make up that money, you know, financial stress is a big thing, but, you know, I wouldn't just put success on that because there comes a point where, you know, it doesn't really matter how much money you make, you know, it doesn't really make much of a difference. And cause I, you know, I work with people who make, you know, 150 K and they're just completely okay. And then you work with people who make, you know, half a million, and they're not okay, right? So it's, it, you know, I wouldn't just put a number on that, but being able to, you know, hang out with family whenever you want to, right? That's success. You know, being able to be around the ones that you love whenever you want to, to me, that would be success. That's awesome. A really, really great definition of that. I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, I wish you much continued success on that. Grant, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, you guys can find me on Instagram at Doherty Tax Solutions. You could also find me on Twitter at Doe Tax Solutions. So if you just D O U and then Tax Solutions, Twitter Twitter has a a limit on the number of right. uh, you can you know put in your name. And then you can also find me on places like Facebook. You can find me at Doherty Tax Solutions on Facebook. Hundred percent awesome. We'll make sure to put all those in the show notes. And, you know, thank you so much again for joining me today. It's been really a pleasure catching up and getting to know more about the Doherty Tax Solutions. Oh, thank you, Yona. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. And to our listeners, thank you guys for listening all the, all the way to the end once again. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. 
Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn, send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you. 